There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Begotten, a five-part audio drama brought to you by Manila Theatre. Part five. My country has just gained its independence. I have given up mine. I've always been awful seasick. Perhaps it's one of the great ironies of living on an island, but it's never caused me any suffering because I've never wanted to leave. Everything I love, all the smells, tastes, sights, Sounds, feelings I could possibly want to feel. They're all there. I think I might be made of the earth, deep down. This skin is just a disguise. I learned I was seasick the same day I first loved Eamon. He was nine, I was eight. I suppose it's strange for an uncle to be so near in age to his niece, but... Our family is large and fond of breeding. We share intimacies more easily than affection. Eamon had just gotten a second-hand rowboat and he wanted to take me out in it. He made a huge show of rowing for me, so eager to be strong and have me notice. But I was too sick. I could only stare at my feet and pray to God the boat wouldn't spring a leak. Eamon loved to sing, and he'd barely begun his second song before I threw up over the side of the boat. He stopped at once, both the rowing and the singing, and dropped to his knees in front of me. I told him I hated the water and I wanted to go home. He was happy to do it, but when he returned to his seat we saw that the oars had fallen in the water when he dropped them, and they'd already drifted too far away. Anyways, he tried to reach for them, but it made the boat tip, and I screamed at him to stop, or else I'd be sick again. 
Eamon stopped and promised he'd get me to shore at once. Before I knew it, he'd jumped out of the boat straight into the October water, found the tow rope at the bow and began paddling with his feet while he held it, trying to make for shore. It was a fool's errand, but he did it. And despite his chattering teeth and the indifferent movement of the water, he kept going. And, though I could hardly believe it, he paddled us home. We sat together on the stony beach for an hour after that. I'd given him my coat to try to warm him, and I asked didn't he want to go inside. But he just smiled and took my hand and said he was happy out, just as he was. And though I had known him my whole life and cared for him, on that day I loved him. The boat I'm on today is larger by far, and it surely won't tip if I should reach over its railing. But I still get that same feeling of unease, like the stomach inside me is twisting and trying to escape. By God, I wish I could let it. My family always said I was gifted. Magic somehow. My aunties were superstitious and tried to tell me that I was like a Celtic goddess. I thought they were mad. I had something of a gift and I suppose it made me a bit odd, but it was also inconsistent. I would at times know the outcome of a game before it had been played, or see the face of an old acquaintance in a dream the night before meeting them again. I sensed my Uncle Thomas's workshop would burn down a week before it happened, but I was a child and thought it a coincidence rather than a warning. When my auntie learned I'd had the vision and said nothing about it, she hit me hard across the face and said her husband died because of me. The rest of the family were wary of me after that, convinced that something that existed only in my mind had the power to curse them all. But Eamon came to my rescue. He didn't blame me for his brother's death. I was just a child who'd had a bad dream. My family began to trust me again, reluctantly, after I burned my hand on the stove. They reasoned that if I'd anticipated that happening, I'd have done something to prevent it. I was declared to be not a witch, but a sort of accidental apprentice wise woman in whom the gift might appear as rarely or as often as a sneeze. The time of my birth was thought to be the reason. My auntie Deirdre, forever gripping her whiskey bottle as if it were fused to both palms, proclaimed that a child born on the stroke of midnight at the turn of a century might conceivably catch a glimpse of the other world. That secret supernatural realm that shares the land with us. I didn't care to be magic. I just wanted my family to be kind. Eamon and I first made love when we were twelve. We didn't tell anyone because we knew we would get into trouble. Everyone knows to lie together outside of marriage is a mortal sin, but as far as we knew it was forbidden for an uncle and a niece to marry. So what were we to do? We found a barn 
and crept in late one evening when we knew the farmer would be asleep. We climbed up to the loft and took our clothes off in the hay and for a long time simply showed one another what our two bodies were. It was slow and easy and neither one of us felt any shame. I suppose it was a blessing that our parents were all dead by the time we had our child. If they hadn't already been killed by sickness or age, I believe the shock would have done it. We both had other family living, of course, but we told only the few we trusted and played dumb with the rest. One or two believed I'd had a virginal conception, like the Virgin Mary, owing to my gift. Or perhaps they pretended to believe it because it was simpler than the truth. Eamon and I made a home together on the far north side of Dublin and this was where we taught Brona to walk. Eamon found work at a printer and I found a woman to teach me to read and sew. I was 16 when my daughter was born and that year of my life was happier than I'd imagined possible for a girl such as myself. We had a fireplace and every night that it was cold enough, nearly every night in reality, we would burn peat and I would invent stories for us all, and Eamon would sing songs that his dad had taught him. We were the opposite of wealthy, and the few nosy neighbours who had deduced that Brona's parents looked too much alike imagined we were degenerate and destitute. But we were fiercely happy, and we were doing no one on earth any wrong. I met Robert Elvery in August of 1916, when Brona was just old enough to be left with a kind neighbour while I went to work for a seamstress. He was English, a military man sent to do some kind of cleaning up in the wake of the Rising. He was to sniff out the insubordinates, further the interests of Britain, things of that nature. I was sat on the stoop of my mistress's shop, drinking a cup of tea and giving my fingers a chance to rest. Robert Elvery came up to me, casting a shadow almost as long as the street. He asked for directions and I gave them. You answered quickly, said he to me. I knew which street you would ask for, said I to him. Is that so? Is it a popular street? I shook my head. No, we already had this conversation in a dream. There's a moment when a gift becomes a curse. Usually it's been misused in some way, perhaps taken too much for granted. For me, the moment came in that conversation with Robert Elvery, on the steps of a Dublin seamstress's shop. He was fascinated by my dream, and asked if this was a common thing for me to know the future. It would have been the wisest moment to lie, but I answered him honestly. It can be, I said. He smiled asked me my name, and I was fool enough to give it to him. Robert Elvery visited me at the seamstress's shop every day for three weeks. At first he put on the part of a customer, and asked my mistress to mend his coat, and later his trousers, though neither of these were in need of repair. When he grew weary of the pantomime, he would wait for me at closing time, and offer to escort me home. I refused, every day offering a new excuse. 
on the day I told him the nearest thing to the truth, that my husband would be waiting. He smiled and pointed out that I didn't wear a ring. We're poor, I told him. We've no money for such fine things. He said, I've money. Let me buy you a ring. I'll sponsor your marriage. He was so amused by the idea. In that moment, I'd a mind to tell him I'd seen finer teeth than his on a horse. But instead, I only refused once more and walked away. That was the day he began to follow me home. Eamon never had any interest in politics. His interests lay in music, our wee family, and the satisfaction of an honest day's labour. He would shake the hands of his friends who were volunteers, congratulate them on their cause, but his private opinion was that as long as he could come home to me and to Brona at the end of the day, then it mattered little to him whether we were an independent state or not. We were free, the three of us, in a way that was bigger than politics or even religion. We were free because we didn't care what anyone thought of us. I don't know how I can pretend to love a man who disgusts me. A man who has willfully robbed me of the only real happiness in my life. It confuses me that this man can know I loathe him, yet still buy me a ring and fine clothes and pay for my education and desire to take me to parties in London society. Does he imagine I will perform for him? Play his exotic bride from the wild Celtic tribes with the gift of sight and prophecy? Will he have me tell fortunes for his friends over champagne while his army plots to take back Ireland from the freedom it has only just accomplished? Why does he not believe that I might take a knife to his throat while he sleeps beside me? And yet, this is the deal we have struck. The last night I spent with Eamon was a Friday. The fire was down to its embers and Brona was fast asleep. When he took me in his arms and apologised to me, the tears making his eyes look like glass. He said he was sorry for taking me at such a young age, when I mightn't have known better, when I might have had a respectable life as someone else's wife. And I did something I've never done, before or since. I struck Eamon hard across the face, so hard that his skin flushed and my hand smarted. How dare you, I said to him. How dare you suggest that you have been anything but the greatest good in my life. And he sobbed in a way that would have shamed a lesser man and turned his face away. But I forced it back to face mine and held his ink-stained hands between my own. I said to him, My whole life has been an unhappy boat at sea, and you pulling me to shore. We made love again that night, as if we both knew it would be the last time. I suspect we both had had the same dream. On Saturday morning, British officers arrested Eamon and the printer he worked for. They were accused of circulating literature and inciting acts of rebellion. Robert Elvery was not in the arresting party, but I knew on whose orders they were acting. Both Eamon and the printer were sent to internment camps somewhere in Britain. 
Neither I nor the printer's wife were given an address. Robert Elvery sought me out two days after the arrest. He had other officers with him. He questioned Brona's parentage and asked for a birth certificate. I couldn't supply one. Knowing full well I had given birth in the barn she was conceived in, where no one would hear my shouts over the lowing of the cattle, where no one would ask to see mine or Eamon's papers, or call our child a bastard or abomination. Robert Elvery said that, without documentation, she was an unknown child and had to be handed over to the Crown. He held me still while I raged and assured me an arrangement could be reached. As I was an unmarried woman laying claim to this lost child, who was suspected by many in the neighbourhood to have an unholy origin, he would legitimise us both. He would marry me, adopt my child, give her an English name and raise her with privilege and opportunity. I spat in his face as I'd wanted to for months and told him something that would make most mothers hate me. Perhaps if I'd known kinder mothers myself, I would not have said it. I told him he could have Brona as his daughter if he would return Eamon to me. It was not the child who had allowed me to feel love. It was the man. But it was not the child Robert Elvery wanted so much as the wise woman who gave birth to her. One who might know the future and who might serve as his trophy from a savage, conquered land. I am Leisha Elvery now, and my daughter's name is Hazel. And my great love will have his life preserved and face no torture so long as I remain a faithful and obedient wife. Or so I am assured. I never found a way to thank Eamon for taking me to shore the day I was sick at sea. Now he is the one in turmoil, and it is I with my hand on the tow rope. There is a part of me that's closed now, I felt it happening when Robert Elvery put the promised ring on my finger. I felt it happening when he took Brona in his lap and called her by a different name, and she squealed like a happy pig and touched his face. I felt it happen until it could happen no more. When we boarded this ship and the sea opened up like a wound between myself and the land I love. The land that lives under this skin. I suppose I am done with love now. It's only a fool who has it entirely, loses the source and expects it to live on just the same. I must learn to live out of other parts of myself. My mind, my will, my bitterness. What is tender and trusting in me must hide must lie and wait until a kinder day comes. I do see the future. On that day, I am not afraid of the sea. I am sailing to Eamon and he is waiting and any wrong that has passed between us is forgotten. I see it only dimly. But I see it.
You have been listening to part five of Begotten, a five-part radio drama presented by Manola Theatre. Manola Theatre is a production and training company based in Brisbane, Australia. Begotten was reimagined as an audio drama in response to the nationwide closure of theatres and performing arts spaces. If you would like to hear more right now, you can access Begotten in full from manolatheatre.com.au and support the creators via the Pay What You Like option on their website. Begotten was written and performed by Bianca Butler-Reynolds and directed by Kat Decker, with post-production sound by Siobhan Finnis. The producers thank Calvin Baker and Jim Reynolds for their production assistance, and That's Not Canon Productions for their support. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.